HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the International Culinary Center, offering courses that range from classic French techniques in culinary, pastry, and bread baking to Italian studies to management, from culinary technology to food writing, from cake making to wine tasting. For more information, visit culinarycenter.com. I'm Greg Blaze, host of Cutting the Curd. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kathy Airway. It's a chilly Sunday here in Brooklyn, and um, we have a holiday coming around. Um, not tomorrow's holiday, which is MLK Day, and hopefully many of you guys get some time off uh, to cook, perhaps. But um, we are going to have Chinese New Year in just a few weeks, uh, February 8th. It's coming up early this year. So I'm really excited to have a guest who knows how to throw a party. And it doesn't have to be Chinese New Year, but I know she has plenty of tips for that. Um, her name is Danielle Chang. She is the founder of, Luck- of the Lucky Rice Festival, a national celebration of Asian cultures and cuisines that's taken place in more than seven cities. And you might re- uh, re- recognize her as the, cre- uh, sorry, ugh, as the creator of Lucky Chow, a PBS series about Asian food and culture in America. Her new book is called, of course, Lucky Rice, Stories and Recipes from Night Markets, Feasts, and Family Tables. And Danielle Chang is on the line. How are you? Hi, Kathy. How are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for joining us. Of course. No, I'm thrilled, actually. Um, when you called to invite me to join the show, I actually had your book, Food of Taiwan, on my coffee table, <laughs> having just read through it the previous weekend and yeah. trying to decide what to cook from it. <laughs> That's so funny. It, it's, yeah. it's like actually kind of creepy, like how much we have in common yeah, and reading really your book. Yeah, it really is. I know. I really I can't believe that we haven't I know. had a full conversation until now. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, long overdue. But here we are. Yeah. Um, and so you know, you're you're born in Taiwan, but moved yes. to the New York, um, or no, just America, not New York, though. Uh, when you were about five. Yeah, I actually moved to LA and then Houston, and then before settling back to New York, mm-hmm. or rather to New York for college. 
So like me, um, and like many folks um, who are Asian American, um, you grew up with a mixture of both Asian food cultures as well as the tantalizing taste of American food and and all that all yeah. that that entails. Yeah. Um, I actually grew up with food. a really Chinese palate um, mm-hmm. because I lived in Taiwan until I was about five, and then went back and spent at least a third of my year there through mm-hmm. summer holidays and and Chinese New Year celebrations. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a very Chinese stomach. I don't think I had a pizza or a French fry until I was in third grade or so. <laughs> yeah. Well, it definitely sh- shines um, throughout your book um, how much you've you know held to the traditions as well as embraced others. So um, if you don't mind, I kind of wanted to read a little bit from your introduction, which I hope helps summarize this the wonderful uh, flavor, if you... If you <laughs> Please. You, okay, great. Um, so you write, we're not just becoming more adventurous eaters, we're also more knowledgeable about Asian culture. We see that the largest continent is not just one monolith of chopsticks and soy sauce, but rather a collection of interwoven yet disparate cultures and cuisines. Ten years ago, for instance, when takeout menus still lumped Thai, Chinese, and Japanese dishes into one cuisine, if I told people that I was born in Taiwan, many would then innocently regale me with stories of their Thailand vacation. I've gotten that too. But not anymore. And I like to think that's because our bellies have taught us well. Um, and, and you go on to talk about, um, you know, this growing sense of um, food explorations about and uh, knowledge um, in America about Asian cultures. It seems like we're at, you know, Asian food 2.0 you know, uh-huh. as a culture here. And, um, and you're exploring that here. So it's, it's a great time for this book. I'm really excited. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, no, I'm really excited. Just like your book, I think we're at this point in our dining vocabulary where we're welcoming um, foods that weren't previously well-known here, like Mm -hmm. foods of Taiwan. I mean, certainly the Taiwanese have been in America for, well, you and I both know, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. many, many decades. But but their food has always been kind of relegated to subcultures, and it's finally now that... That you know everybody is enjoying it, and you see it on menus. Um, y- yeah, you know, you outside of Taiwanese or Chinese restaurants, and you, that's that's really great. I think it's through that lens that we're learning all about these cultures. Like I, it's like so, you just read in the intro. Mm-hmm. It's so exciting, and um, I love it when I hear. Okay, so I want to like share maybe a little devil's advocate story because I love it when <laughs> I hear friends who are. American or who knows what other culture, uh-huh. um, you know, talk about with like this authority about things right. like, <laughs> I don't know, pork belly, like guabao or something uh-huh. or miso. I don't know. And um, <laughs> it's, I don't know, there's also something a little weird when I see like on new American menus, this um, really crazy uses of Asian ingredients and <laughs> in juxtapositions. Right. Um, do you ever get this creeping sense of like, oof. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> well, I think as, as long as it's not couched as this is authentic, this mm-hmm. is the real deal. You know, I spent three months in Thailand, and therefore I can cook better than your Thai grandmother. Right. You know, as long as it's not under those pretenses, I actually quite love it mm-hmm. um, when people outside of the culture are cooking with, you know, Asian ingredients or techniques or kind of wrapping flavors um into their heritage cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you know, I think that we're kind of beyond ethnicity um, 
in that or those boundaries, those okay. ethnic boundaries, so that anybody can cook anything um, and make it taste delicious. Right. And this kind of this backlash, right? I mean, we all we all remember wasabi mashed potatoes and horrible, <laughs> you know, Asian say, fusion uh, cuisine of the eighties. Or um, soy sauce directly. But I think we've uh, moved uh, okay. beyond that. Um, mm-hmm. And I love how like classically French trained chefs are playing with, say, miso mm-hmm. or um, with. Um, you know, dashi and in adding nuances to their cooking. Mm-hmm. So do you think that there are any limitations to like who's who who's allowed to do that? Um, you know, trained chefs mm-hmm. or somebody who's just stumbled upon soy sauce for the first time. Do you think that, right. that it just matters about whether it tastes good? Um, well, I think that there are fewer rules, you mm-hmm. know, when it comes to Asian food um, and how people are assimilating it into their cooking. I'm not sure whether, this is certainly not the case in Asia, you know, if you mm-hmm. go to a Chinese banquet table, you know, our dads are not going to eat <laughs> a bastardized version of a traditional Chinese soup, for instance, <laughs> I'm assuming, um, if your dad is anything like mine. But but I think that chefs have given a lot of liberty with Asian food, like mm-hmm. adding soy sauce into their, Butter. Um, you know, uni spaghetti. And I kind of love it that... Yeah. There are no rules when it comes to, to Asian food. It is really interesting. Um, I I began thinking along the lines of like you know wh- where is this is there a line that you can be that can cross into where uh-huh. it might be offensive because um, a, a couple of weeks ago there was like a little outburst at Oberlin College where uh-huh. the students were protesting the quote unquote cultural appropriation of uh-huh. some of the. Asian, quote-unquote, foods that the cafeteria was preparing. Oh, so, really? Yeah. How interesting. I'll have to look at that up. Yeah. So, so I guess, they were Asian students mm-hmm, who were right. protesting this cultural appropriation? And, and <laughs> other ethnic, ethnicities of students. Oh. Yeah. Pretty. Um, it must have been terrible food, though, I'm thinking. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I do hate it when, you know, as I, I think the earlier generation of Asian food where all of these Right. Different diverse cuisines are lumped together, mm-hmm. and it's like this is Asian mm-hmm. food in a takeout box, and it's nasty, and it has no real um, reflection to mm-hmm. how proper Asian food should taste. But at the same time, I I also um, think it's funny when people always ask me, even today, "Well, oh, hey, what's your favorite Chinatown restaurant?" As if to say that you know Chinatown is the most authentic place where you can get Chinese food and that authenticity equals quality and it just Mm -hmm. doesn't. I mean, you know, you can go to Chinatown and get food prepared by, you know, immigrants, (laughs) kind Mm -hmm. of like fresh off of their, fresh off the boat, sorry, but, um, you know, who were formerly engineers and not not really trained to be cooks in the kitchen. Um, And that's not to say that it's going to be better. It's probably not than somebody like Who's, Andy Ricker, right, right. <laughs> for instance, who, you know, studied and has Travel. cooked Asian yeah. food for as his career. You know, um, it, there also seems to be a growing sense of flamboyance with regards mm-hmm. to, like, mashups and, uh, you know, I guess I don't want to use the word fusion because it was right. it was so uh, stigmatized before, but exactly. I, it really is fusion. Um, there, for instance, Dale Talda, one of the Top Chef mm-hmm. like, stars, um, 
his new cookbook is called Asian American subtitled Proudly Inauthentic Recipes. Right. And there um, also was a Lucky Peach um, Chinese cookbook that yes. was like inauthentic Chinese recipes. Right, and, right, You know, there's right. this wink, wink, nod, nod, tongue-in-cheek sense to it. Yeah. Which is interesting as well. Right, it is. I kind of think of Chinese-American food as its own category. Mm-hmm. Um, so it has its hair history. It has its flavor components. It's born of a certain time, you know, primarily when the Immigration Act was lifted. And, you know, there was a flood of Chinese immigration into the U.S. in the 60s. And um, those people who cater to a broader audience who wanted you know, your typical kind of Sunday takeout Jewish, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. Upper West Side dinner. And it's the food that I grew up with and that I kind of have a nostalgia for in a way. Yeah. <laughs> and I recently read that there are these expats who have moved to Beijing who've opened an Asian-American diner because mm. they miss those dishes like General So's chicken wow. <laughs> that they couldn't get in Beijing. So I... I don't know. I, I, it's its own category as right. much as Sichuanese or Taiwanese or Shanghainese cuisine is. Mm-hmm. And, and certainly in, in, for anyone in New York and, and probably many other big cities, um, we see more and more of these sort of fun mashups becoming part of the the norm. And, you know, like, for instance, kimchi tacos. Is, you know, mm-hmm. bulgogi tacos is like, I don't know, the new cream cheese and bagel or something. Like, um <laughs> Well, I mean, I actually write about that in my book mm-hmm. because I feel that kimchi tacos should be the dish, uh, the official dish for Los Angeles because mm-hmm. it's just it just captures the zeitgeist of that city and all of the the battles and the stripes that for Koreatown, for instance, has had you know since the riots in the '90s, and you know now Koreatown is this booming neighborhood where. You know, Hispanics and Koreans live side by side and in harmony, and mm-hmm. and that marriage has given birth to the kimchi taco. So I think that That's that wonderful. is the most kind of authentic um, product mm-hmm. that you could find. You know, um, most authentic outgrowth of two ethnicities. A melting um, pot, yeah. Yeah, and and it's much um, more lovely story than something like the banh mi, which was invented during the mm-hmm. French colon yeah, I can't speak colonization right. of Vietnam. <laughs> yeah, so. I mean, so many dishes were, mm-hmm. um, and yeah. it's just, it's amazing how many. Was I mean, there are dishes like that that and like chicken tikka masala as well. You mm-hmm. know that have then now found so much love. Back home. <laughs> I, I mean, you have so many great ideas here. You have recipes for kimchi tacos, Jewish pastrami egg rolls. Um, well, I certainly like can't take credit Roman, for all that. Chinese you know, oxtails. I mean, the recipes are all mine, so mm-hmm. I recreated them in my kitchen. But um, it's there. What I wanted to set out to do with the book is to talk about the kind of where we're at in our dining vernacular when it comes to Asian food and how much of an influence Asian culture has had um, just across America and our backyards um, through its food culture. Um, And so I'm fortunate that with the Lucky Rice Festival, I've been able to travel um, a lot across the U.S. and to see how Asian food culture manifests itself in different cities, whether it's L.A. or Miami, um, and soon to be Houston. That's our new market this year. Oh, cool. And um, 
And so, like the pastrami egg roll, that's something that, you know, Ed Schoenfeld and Joe Ning serve with great pride at Red Farm. Mm-hmm. Um, and the kimchi tacos, obviously the most, the most famous carnation of that is Roy Choice. Mm-hmm. Um, In L.A.? Yeah. Koji Chuck. So, you know, what the book does is <clears throat> to talk about these kind of food trends or flavor profiles that are gaining currency um, amongst our diners today. Absolutely. And you have a great perspective because you've been throwing these festivals or feastivals and um, <laughs> and, and you get to see people's reactions. So mm-hmm. I'm curious, like, because it seems like these ideas, they throw so many different people like a rope <laughs> and uh-huh. something to attach to and, and love. Um, what is your overall um, uh, observation of, of everyone's reactions to some of these dishes? Um, I think everybody is curious and loves Asian food. You know, I have this really cheesy saying, which is, if we are what we eat, then we're all part Asian. (laughs) Because I feel like it's become a part of our everyday grub. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, you can get bami sandwiches at Pret-a-Manger. In fact, you can get Korean stews there nowadays. (laughs) Um, and, um, you know, next to that, Hale and Hardy, they have like Thai coconut curry soups every day. I mean, it just, it, the flavors are the fish sauce, the fermentation, um, a lot of street food flavors, you know, mm-hmm. the use of squid or, you know, black bean sauce. All of these things are no longer foreign to mm-hmm. any American diners. Um, and yeah. so, you know, I've, I think people are just interested in Asian food, period, and that's what's given us the privilege to kind of bring the festivals across the country. At the same time, I'm just so pleased and I've learned so much from how chefs um, locally, you know, interpret and recreate traditional Asian dishes um, and to make Mm -hmm. it something really personal. Um, Like when you're in L.A. and San Francisco and New York, these are obviously hubs for Asian Asian immigration and just Asian Americans. So it's not a huge surprise that, Mm -hmm. you know, you would have a very um, well-educated diner um, or guest. But when you go down to Miami, which we do every year, that's actually the, you know, only metropolis in the U.S., practically, that has such a tiny Asian population. It only has 3% Asians. (laughs) And yet, the festival there is wildly popular no kidding. because I think people are traveling to Asia through their imagination, and yeah. food is the current that allows them to oh, reach no. that you know destination. And so, if you think about Miami, um, you know, it's a big eating and drinking city, but yet most of the most popular restaurants there are kind of like these big box Asian places, mm-hmm. like like a Tao yeah. <laughs> or Mr. Chow or Hakkasan, Zuma, um, Sushi Samba, those types of places. Um, and it's, uh, Fancy, right? it's so much secondary migration, actually, mm-hmm. from Asia to South America and Latin America. Um, to, and then now the U.S., yeah, Miami as a port. That, mm-hmm. you know, when you think about it in that context, it really does make sense. And it's just... I love it that food is like a lens through which people can journey mm-hmm. to Asia. <laughs> well, certainly many of these recipes have that great like wow factor and uh, cleverness. So um, I want to talk a lot more about how you can experience these at home rather than at uh, you know a truck or something. Um, mm-hmm. Right when we come back after a quick little commercial break. 
International Culinary Center is a proud sponsor of the HeritageRadioNetwork.org. The ICC, with locations in New York and California, provide cutting-edge education to future chefs, restaurateurs, and wine professionals. We're proud to claim Dan Barber, Bobby Flay, and David Chang among our honored alumni. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton from Chef Story. Check out our ICC website at internationalculinarycenter.com. All right, we're back chatting more with Danielle Chang, author of Lucky Rice. Um, so, Danielle, you have like a whole chapter here and many tidbits of info on feast, uh, throwing feasts and banquets and parties. So, um, I'm looking at this one right now, Lucky Feast, where you have, it looks like a pretty good menu for the new year. I see firecrackers here and red envelopes <laughs> on the spread. <laughs> yes, so, yes. Yeah, for anyone who wants to make a few fun dishes to in- celebrate the holiday, um, what, what do they need to do? Um, you know, I, the first thing I say about Chinese New Year is, again, there are no rules, uh, because I think it can be pretty intimidating when people think about throwing their own kind of Chinese banquet for the New Year, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden they're accosted yeah. by all of these rules, like, you must serve dishes in eights. Um, <laughs> uh, the fish has to be whole, um, you know, with its head pointing to the guest of honor. I, I kind um, of think the fish needs must to be wear whole. Bed, et cetera. And I think, you know, these are okay. all great fun things. Um, that make Chinese food that much more appetizing mm-hmm. um, and exciting to to uh, you know somebody that's not familiar with the culture. Yeah. But at the same time, it can be intimidating. So what I hope to do with this book is to de- demystify a lot of that, um, so that you can cook one dish from that chapter, um, or you can basically mix and match dishes from different chapters of the book to create your own meal, um, something that suits your appetite. But for the Chinese New Year, you know, um, we do talk a lot about lucky foods Mm -hmm. because luck is, you know, a huge part of, I think, what sets Chinese um, food apart from a lot of other other cuisines. Right. No kidding. Because, That's why you <laughs> named your book in festivals Lucky Rice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I just think luck is one of those mm. those kind of commonalities that a lot of Asians have. It, you know, this this wish for auspiciousness and good fortune and the belief that food can bring that to you. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, such a great hope. Um, and then mm-hmm. rice, of course, is the foundation of most Asian foods. Um, and so... That's mm-hmm. why, you know, we named the book and the festival Lucky Rice. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Chinese, you know, take eating very seriously, <laughs> as you know. True, true. Um, and the Chinese New Year is really just one giant feast, as right. you've experienced. It mm-hmm. takes place over almost two weeks. And it's the biggest holiday in the world because, mm-hmm. well, there's mo- more A Chinese than any other population <laughs> right. in the world. And they literally just take off. Like, everything in China closes. Everything in Taiwan closes. Like, don't, you know, you just cannot go to the bank or the post office mm-hmm. or anything on those days. So everybody's at home feasting and cooking and yeah. eating. Um, and so there's two types of feasting that takes place, you know, the kind of home-style feasting where you gather around with your aunts and 
um, make dumplings at mm. home. And that's just an all-day experience. And the main point of that really is just the gossip that happens around the dining table. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's an activity up, that's, yeah. uh, that's, that's... That's so true. It's hand like a knitting hand circle. With, with, you know, hanging out yeah. at home over the holidays. Um, whereas family and the friends are the most important part of that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we always make dumplings around the new year and then boil them at midnight mm-hmm. if, as a midnight snack. Oof, yum. Um, and then what we've gotten to doing lately is to put kind of like a lucky coin in certain ones of those co- those dumplings so Ooh. that, you know, these auspicious eaters can be imbued with something extra lucky if they <laughs> happen to come across one of those dumplings. <laughs> um, that's but so then, fun. you know, also, there's the banquet, the more formal um, recipes, okay. like the whole fish, which is so simple to make, um, and yet can be intimidating to a lot yeah. who haven't tried it. Sure, but, you know, your recipes are, are really clear, and um, it, it's fun to learn also about why some of these dishes are considered lucky, like, and a lot of it is phonetic translation, mm-hmm. right? So the word for you, uh, fish, it sounds like... Um, something auspicious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, um, you, yeah. It sounds, it's auspicious for wealth. Right. And then um, longevity noodles, anything long seems mm-hmm. to symbolize long life, which is right. why we see noodles. It's just, yeah, so you always have longevity noodles, you know, mm-hmm. at birthday celebrations where it's just slurp, 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 you know, because you, you never want to cut that noodle because cutting into Ooh. noodles like cutting into your life. Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> One um, little tidbit, which is really fun, is um, especially if you want to make money in the next year, is the, uh, the dumplings are considered lucky because the shape resembles the ancient golden little ingots yes like exactly the, the ancient form of currency mm-hmm. so, so um so people used rich. to make those ingots and throw them into rivers to kind of scare away <laughs> all spirits as well <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> let's just, just eat something else not our spirits <laughs> um yeah no but these are all just fun fun things to keep in mind um but um Okay, so you also have pork belly. These are all really appealing. I love the the lion's head meatballs. I mm-hmm. mean, so comforting. yeah, no, the foods are beautiful, and they're really they're really each of them are home style dishes that you can make and have any time of the year. But together, when served together, they mm-hmm. really do form kind of an auspicious traditional. Chinese New Year menu. You know, foods like turnip cakes are so simple. It's really radishes and rice flour, and Mm -hmm. it's something that, you know, you can find steamed or pan-fried at most dim sum tables. But um, they're also always served at Chinese New Year because, of course, the word radish is a homophone for something auspicious as well (laughs) in Chinese. So um, I just love how these, you know, everyday foods are imbued with special significance Mm -hmm. um, when brought out during a particularly important date on the calendar. Nice. And what else can folks do at home to kind of spice up their feast with a little bit of, I don't know, festive um, games or activity? Yeah, well, mahjong is always good. You know, if you're talking about luck and taking a chance, Mm -hmm. hey, you never know. (laughs) It's um, the idea of of gambling, I think, and um, of luck, auspiciousness, that always ties into many uh, Chinese you know, dinner table. Mm-hmm. Um, and then 
it's just such a really festive time um, where everybody gets together. So um, it's it's kind of defined by chaos. You know, <laughs> the Chinese have this saying, where they, it's literally hot and noisy. And mm-hmm. that's a good thing because people love just being like loud and hot and noisy and eating a lot and, you know, um, talking into the night, eating more, drinking more, you know, right. burping loudly. <laughs> just that I whole love that. kind of real you know <laughs> chaos that takes place around the dinner table and the feasting um really defines the lunar new year wow i love that you <laughs> also explained that like hot and noisy is um is used a lot in describing night markets yes. and that's a in a good way, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, where it's just like the sensory overload mm-hmm. is what you go to night markets for. <laughs> right. yeah. um, and uh, it's that kind of controlled chaos um, that I love about it and that right, sense right. of discovery. It's like you go for your favorite stalls, but then you always invariably come across something you've never had. Um, mm-hmm. And that's really what I hope this book will do, um, and that's what I hope the festivals do as well, is that you may go there because you know you want to make that your own man, that, you know, Taiwanese beef noodle soup, or, um, but then along the way, you'll come across something that's right. new, um, and, and through the lens of making that dish, you'll learn something new about the culture. Um, and it's people and it's history, possibly even. Um, and, and that is really, to me, what the book is all about. Yeah. And now you can make that at home following all these great <laughs> recipes. I mean, it's, it's really, really, thank you so much. It's really great for sharing. Um, no, and I'm, I'm loving your book because <laughs> I'm learning so much from it. I mean, even though I you know, had grown up in Taiwan, a lot of the food that I ate there wasn't necessarily Taiwanese. Yes. And okay. I didn't really understand all about the you know, Taiwanese politics and mm-hmm. uh, you know, the economy and history and how that plays into its food. Yeah. Um, are you I, following the election? Well, <laughs> it just happens. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Newsflash, um, we have a first uh, female president of Taiwan yesterday. Yeah. And, <laughs> and uh, China does not like her at all. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's Should the be, topic of debate, discussion yes. on every Taiwanese table today. Yes. Oh, my goodness. That's true. And, and also during the dumpling folding circles, too, maybe. Yes. Um, uh, <laughs> So, so Danielle, that's about all the time we have. But t- let us know: um, do, do we do you have any upcoming festivals that um, we can check out? Yeah, well, we're going to be kicking off the, our mm-hmm. calendar um, actually during another really festive time, which is Taishan Con. It's t- the Thai New Year, and okay. that happens in middle mid April. Perfect. And from there, we're going to be coming to New York, um, holding reprising our large scale night markets before heading out west to. L.A., San Francisco, Houston, and then Miami. All right. Um, so check it all out at LuckyRice.com. Mm-hmm. The book is available. comes out January 26th. It's on for pre-sale right now at Amazon.com. So anywhere right. or anywhere else you can find the book. Um, and I hope that your readers and your listeners will all... You know, enjoy the holidays with the help of Lucky Rice. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll stay tuned, too, at, at LuckyRice.com. So... Um, thank you so much for your time, Danielle. Thank you, Kathy. Happy. And um, let's cook together sometime yes, soon. Yes, let's do it. <laughs> Happy feasting. Okay. All right. Thanks, everyone at Heritage. We'll see you next week on Eat Your Words.
listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 non-profit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>